stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey, happy Monday, folks, and welcome to an episode of It Never Rains, a podcast that might be poorly named, seeing as it's been pouring down rain here in Portland and Eugene for the last couple of days. Tyson Alger but not here. Autzen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Tyson Alger here, joined by Aaron Fentress on uh, The Athletic. Uh, this is our uh, free Monday episode, so thank you to everyone who's listening on Spotify, iTunes, and all sorts of other podcast platforms. Aaron, you got in late last night, big uh, big Seahawks win up in Seattle. I think you took the scenic route home, but uh, uh, <laughs> are you up? Are you, are, you, are you ready for this? Are you ready uh, to, to talk about an Oregon win for a change? I am. I'm good. You know, I was sleeping and my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter, got up in a panic because she had to get to the bus stop and asked for someone to give her a ride. My wife refused because the bus stop was two and a half blocks. I actually drove my daughter two and a half blocks to the bus stop so she wouldn't be late, even though she wouldn't. Her friends looked at her like she was crazy. So that's my morning so far. Man, you guys are raising just some soft kids these days. Can't <laughs> no, go two and a half blocks. Absolutely. No, she can do when, it. She just thought she was going to be late. I'm like, it's a 30-second walk. Anyway. Dude, when, when I was a kid, we had a real long driveway up in Alaska, and and we would walk out there with a baseball bat sometimes because there was there was a couple moose that would uh, camp out in our yard, like like a kid with a baseball awesome. bat would do anything against a moose. But that's you can, but you Tyson, you were a slugger. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think you know you can kind of start to piece together how uh, how we ended up with this Tyson here. Um, <laughs> so it's. It's a much different Monday compared to a week ago when the world was – when the sky was falling, Oregon, everyone was co- questioning coaching decisions and, and whether or not this Oregon team was going to be as good as they everyone thought they were. Um, I wouldn't say they necessarily erased that, but they uh, did everything they could by putting up 77 points, a program record at Autzen Stadium, tying a program record set by uh, Willie Taggart's team against Southern Utah. Um, obviously, a big offensive game. Uh, I thought it was an excellent defensive game, but uh, – yeah, it's it's kind of nice to get back into uh, uh, an early season groove where uh, uh, players seem kind of loose and comfortable, and it's it's not um, do or die with every little move uh, that <laughs> right. uh, like a, an Auburn game brings. A lot looser feel, I would imagine, right? Yeah, no, po- post game was great. I mean, obviously, it, it's different after wins and losses, but uh, uh, man, just having that big early season game just put so much kind of pressure on not only the players and coaches and staff, but like. You know, everything that we were writing or podcasting is always like dissecting about, oh, this big Auburn game, this big Auburn. Now we're now we're finally back into, you know, a couple of easy games. Let us shake off some of the rust and uh, uh, keep going. <laughs> Tyson's got to shake off some rust. No, just, dude, you were, dude, so you're, that, you're saying you weren't ready for the big opening game either. Is that what you're saying? No, but that that's a complete <laughs> legit thing, though. Like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like, you know, we go – eight months without writing like anything's, I mean, not that we were necessarily on deadline. Thank you, athletic, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's writing a a gamer or a post game story is, is just a little bit of a different flow than your tech, than your usual, you know, midweek in the the middle of the summer feature or whatnot. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta shake off the cobwebs, get, get, get those cliches out there, you know, (laughs) Uh, they played hard and, uh, uh, yeah. I'm with uh, you. I'm with you. (laughs) <laughs> so you weren't at the game, but you uh, you obviously watched. I did. Uh, for, for, for people who don't know, Aaron also covers the Seahawks and uh, was a little busy this weekend with uh, week one NFL kickoff. But uh, um, we'll dive into more about what we really liked and what we still have questions about. But just kind of watching from afar, what was kind of your initial impressions of uh, this Oregon game? Uh, you know, 
pretty much what I expected. They started out slowly. And, you know, it's, it's always one of those things where it's like, okay, why are they struggling early? And then coming off the Auburn game, it's like, okay, are these bad signs? <laughs> but you pretty much know they're going to pick it up. As a matter of fact, I, I've written about this before. I've talked about this numerous times. Like, if you look at the history of Oregon's games against teams like this, or even even worse teams, like I remember they played Middle Tennessee State or whatever. I think they scored first. It was 7-0 them or something. You sometimes get off to a slow start, in part because the other team just – Comes out fired up. They haven't been beaten up yet. They got the perfect, you know, 25 plays scripted that they're going to execute well. <laughs> and everything goes well for them. And then all of a sudden it just it falls off a cliff. So, you know, I, I wasn't worried about the, the early uh, poor start. But I will say this. These games are just the worst. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, oh, Utah was playing. I don't know. I can't remember. They were playing someone uh, mediocre. I think next week they play Idaho State and Oregon plays montana and in the, the scheduling quirks Easy. it's just yeah it's Easy. just like i just wish they were playing each other instead but i think there were some signs in this game that were mostly positive well yeah I, of course it was 77 six but i'll get to the caveats <laughs> in a minute go ahead <laughs> right I, I mean 77 points is uh the last time Oregon scored this many points, it was against an FCS opponent in it. And it definitely wasn't an FCS opponent, like the juggernaut Montana Grizzlies who are coming into town this week. <laughs> uh, You've got but, them favored, right? You know, just, uh, just an excellent, uh, uh, program, uh, with an excellent, excellent journalism, uh, school. Uh, just, uh, I really respect what they do and, uh, especially their alumni. Um, but like Nevada is not a good football game or sorry, a good football team, but they're not bad. I mean, they came in here with a win over, over Purdue and produced a very average to bad team as well. But it's not like this was like Bowling Green or Portland state from a year ago. Like this is a, this is a competent program. I'm not saying it's a good team this season, but it's a competent program. And, and this, <laughs> this is scoring 77 points uh, in the same week where uh, Chip Kelly lost his second straight game to a group of five opponents. So um, you know, obviously take take this win with a, a grain of salt, but uh, you know yeah, they beat it, it Oregon State much... last year. Yeah, they did beat Oregon State. Well, I mean Hawaii just man, boy. I was driving back from Eugene listening to that. That was actually the best drive back from Eugene ever because on one radio dial you had the Oregon State game because they were playing in Hawaii, which kicked off at like I think 10 p.m. and then the Washington game was going on too. So it was a a relatively interesting uh, drive back, but yeah, no, I, I, I came away impressed and uh, let's, I, I think maybe we can lead that into uh, a little segment here of, uh, you know, tell me, tell me something that you saw in that game that leads that kind of uh, um, makes you think positive about uh, the, the rest of the season going and, and what's something that you just haven't quite seen yet, or, or just maybe a little bit of concern from that game, which frankly, I don't think that in a 77 to six win, there should be too much that concerns <laughs> you, but obviously there's, there's some stuff that we still do, just don't quite know yet. So let's, yeah. uh, you want to start positive here? Uh, sure. So first to piggyback on what we just talked about, you know, Nevada was eight and four, eight and five last year. They, they barely lost to Boise. This has been a, a darn good mid-major program. So we, you sort of have to right. balance out the school. Like if they won 44-21, it's still a win, but you're like, eh. But 77-6, that is a flat-out beat down no matter who you play. So obviously more positives than negatives. I'll, but, you know, I, I'm going to start with a negative, though. The rushing the rushing attack. This, you? This, this, no. this is going <laughs> to – okay. So first of all, we're looking – see, here's the thing. We're not looking – I don't care about that game. I don't care about that win. Right. And I've always said this every, every time I evaluate Oregon for the last you know, 12 years, the last 15 years. I'm looking at the team based on what their goals are. Their goals are not to be 500 right. and make a bowl game. 
right? If their goal is to go six and six, if this were Oregon State, you'd be like, oh my God, that was amazing. This team wants to win the Pac-12. Some people think it could be a playoff contender still. So that's how I'm looking at it. So when I look at this game, I'm going to harp on this forever until it changes. The rushing attack, they rushed for 226. Did they really? I mean, they did, but most of it was in the second half when the game was over. You know Nevada had some backups out there. So you just pounded their starters, and now you're steamrolling their backups. I don't care about that. I don't care what Felix did for 83 yards. I don't care about that 62-yard touchdown. It means nothing to me. That hole was so ginormous. You and I could have gained 15 on that play. Um, Thank for, you. Yeah. So, but here's what I look at. Verdell <laughs> and Travis Dye, 17 carries for 88 yards. That's not hideous. And again, they threw for a lot of touchdowns. So, but the volume's not there for me to believe that they've that they turned the corner. They didn't. They didn't do anything this game to show me. Oh, yeah, the running game's back. So that for me is still a big deal. I would have liked to have seen them rush for three seventy because in the, in the last fifteen years of the spread against mid majors and FCS programs, the Ducks averaged like three seventy a game. Coming into last year with Cristobal, and then that number dropped. So I would like to see 350, 300 plus rushing in a game like this. We didn't see it. So that's my nitpick for this game. Right. So, like you said up top, the Ducks did rush for 221 yards. If you take away that that Felix 62 yard scamper Scamper, right at the end, which, you know, (laughs) scamper. Uh, If you take that one away, they only averaged 4.1 yards per carry, which. You know, this this wasn't really a formidable Nevada front seven. And I mean, this is all nitpicking no, no, because it's not. I, I, I say think it's legit. Can, you, and they only had one sack. It's not like they had right. three sacks for 25 yards. They had one sack for two. So you didn't lose a lot of rushing yards there. I don't think it's a nitpick at all. I think it's legit. Keep going. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, a little wishy-washy, though, when, when you go into hypotheticals of like, well, if you take this one <laughs> run away, they did this. Well, just, you know, that that run counted. Uh, Darian, I, I will say I did, I, I think Darian Felix looked good. If the, if this kid's healthy, uh, I think he can be a, a positive addition to this, this, um, uh, running backs room just because, you know, uh, you know, Verdell and Dye are both good runners, but I, I think Felix is just a little bit different than both of them. And, you know, he's dealt with so many injuries here in his first, what was it? Two and a half years. This is his third two year years? program. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like he, he's got a lot of speed. He's got some size. Um, you know, if they can get him going, I, I think that's big, but yeah, I mean, like you, you would definitely want to see more than four point one yards per carry, uh, minus that big run, especially against a. I mean, this this wasn't a great Nevada. Hundred percent. And the here. thing is, their early struggles. I mean, clearly Herbert missed some wide open passes, but if the running game were rolling, those wouldn't have mattered. That those wouldn't have slowed them down, and that's the difference between now and in the past when the running game just steamrolled people. So. It's, you know, it's a big deal for me. And Stanford's coming up in two weeks, man. You know, if they can't run at Stanford, that's going to be trouble. It's, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty crazy. Like Herbert, I think Herbert missed, he was three of eight. Oh, or yeah. So he missed, he missed five of his first eight passes and two of them, one to, one to uh, a red. And I think the other to Breland, uh, probably both would have gone for six. Uh, but then like his next, I think he completed 10 out of his next 11 passes and over those 10 passes, I think it was three touchdown passes, like 250 yards. And, uh, it was just like, okay, I, I think he's warmed up now. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if just final home game, uh, final first home game of his career. I think Herbert just had a little bit of uh, adrenaline going through him. Cause he was zipping that ball. Like we, yeah, we've he's seen got him do a before. Cannon. I agree. Uh, you know, again, the only caveat to that is that guys were wide open and he got no, he had no pressure. Um, but, you know, he, he did, right. you know, he maximized what was in front of him. Um, man, <laughs> he 
people were just completely uncovered. It's like, is someone going to cover that guy? Nah, I guess not. But, but I mean, I will say, and, and not that, that you're saying against this, but it, it is nice to see that, um, you know, when Oregon has a talent advantage there and, you know, schematically uh, that they were able yeah. to get those guys wide, like Oregon should have gotten those guys wide yep. open and they did do that. And uh, um, I mean, the Ducks finished with 402 passing yards, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. I think, uh, I think Mario Cristobal will 100%. take that any day of the week. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll go a positive on a, a thing on my end that just impressed me. And, and I think is going to extend going further is I'm just continually impressed with uh, Andy Avalos. Andy Avalos's defense here in his first year as a defensive coordinator. Uh, the Ducks didn't allow a touchdown. They allowed less than 200 yards of total offense. The last time they've done both of those things in the same game was they did it twice in 2010. And one of them was against an FCS opponent in Portland State. And I think the other was against Wyoming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Nevada's not a great team, but but this was a defensive effort that you just don't really – uh, you haven't really seen a ton of in Eugene. And uh, as I wrote about Saturday night, like as Herbert kind of struggled those first couple drives, I mean, this defense, you know, the, <laughs> there have been games in the past, like you mentioned earlier, where they're playing some of these worse opponents where it's maybe like 10 zero after the first and everyone's going like, Oh my God, are the ducks dead here? Like what's going to happen? And I didn't feel that at all in this game, just because the defense was just legit. Um, you know, e even when like there was like the muff special teams play and Nevada took over, I think on their own, like, or on Oregon's like five or six, like they, they were able to stand up there. And, uh, unfortunately they weren't able to stop, uh, the, the best player of, uh, Nevada's offense, uh, the kicker, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I was, I was really impressed with this defense. And, and I, I think my main takeaway was just the, uh, the depth, you know, this is something that we've talked about kind of leading up into the season of, uh, you know, Oregon's had good ones over the last couple of years, but they just haven't quite had that kind of second unit that's been able to spell them a bit. But I mean, here you had you had DJ Johnson, who's who's part of the second unit. He led the team with seven tackles. I think he had uh, my computer just fell off there, but he had multiple tackles for a loss, a couple sacks. Um, that kid is just uh, he's he, he looks like a beast out there. You know, he, he's a big guy. He can run. Um, and I really liked the play from like a true freshman, Mace Funa, who had a couple sacks. Um, and, uh, like Diamador Lenore was flying all over the field too. So I, um, I was just really impressed with the aggressiveness of that defense and especially on third down where they, they threw in a ton of different looks. And I think when the ones were in Nevada was only, I think one of 11 on third down. So that was, that was a really productive, uh, start to, uh, the home schedule for Oregon's defense. And it's, it's coming off of uh, an Auburn game where I thought the defense was good enough to win that game up until that final drive. Yeah, I agree hundred percent, you know, Nevada, yeah, not on Oregon's level, but their, their offense and the style they play, uh, should be able to score more than six points. I mean, in a game like that, my point being is that they're good enough, I think, to put up 17 in a game like that. And Oregon just completely suppressed them and squished them to the ground. It, especially with how many possessions they were. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Too. I mean, Oregon was scoring at will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think there was a, I mean, there were a couple of times they threatened, obviously, and couldn't punch it in. And that's a testament to the defense stiffening up at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's one of those situations where you have to balance it out. And six points is six points, regardless of who you're playing, especially when it, when you're scoring often. The other team's going to get a lot of chances to to punch it in, and something's bound to happen. Like there's bound to be a blown coverage, there's bound to be a, a missed you know gap assignment, and someone breaks loose and they they get in scoring position or score, and that just never really happened. Um, so I think 100, you know, regardless of the opponent, you know, 
if you can t- completely destroy a team like Nevada, which traditionally has a very good offense, then that's a definite power, a positive side moving forward, as was the Auburn game, uh, save for the fact that they did blow the lead late. Um, they still showed up pretty well in that game as well. Nevada Nevada uh, had 40 carries for 83 yards. That's 2.1 yards per carry. Like their the, their longest play of the game on offense was a 23-yard pass. You know, there was just none, none of those big chunk plays, no real blown coverages, as you said. Um, th- this was just a complete defensive off- effort from start to finish. And, and you know, I was, I was impressed by the way that – uh, no points in the second half either. I mean, they they definitely closed this game, which is something that they've kind of been preaching, especially after coming off that Auburn game. Uh, they wanted to see everybody kind of do what they were supposed to do, and and, and they certainly got that. So for sure. All right, so I'm going to do a, a film room thing on this because to me it was the most compelling okay. part of the game, and that's Tyler Shuck. <laughs> His first. I thought you were going to talk about the halftime spread. <laughs> oh no, I was going to talk about uh, uh, Troy Dye's dance. Did you see that? <laughs> I, I did see that. That was uh, the I might the, break uh, that down. the Troy Die uh, the Troy Die shuffle the, the Troy Die the Troy Die don't give a f tour <laughs> is is has been magical so far. Has <laughs> <laughs> hasn't it? Um, okay, so Tyler Shuck saw his first real action. He played a little bit last year, but never threw a pass. He was basically the third string quarterback with Burmeister as the second string. So we got to see him other than the spring game, which no one cares about. We got to see him actually perform in a live game. Dude, I, I rode the heck out of the spring game. Get, get out of here. Bad, dude. I've been to 10 spring games. I'm over spring games. I don't think you were subscribed to The Athletic at that I wasn't. So I missed that one. Had, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Tyler was eight for nine for 92 yards and two touchdowns. Okay. So I have two. I'm on the fence with this as usual. Uh, first, first, the positives. He at least looked like a quarterback. Meaning he had yep. good feet, he moved around, he's athletic, he's got a cannon for an arm. He like looked like he has talent. That now, but I'm gonna compare his overall performance to sort of what we saw from <clears throat> Jeff Lockie in that infamous spring game of 2015 when he was nine for nine for one something with two or three touchdown passes or whatever. Where I came away like, okay, he threw slants, he threw screens, he threw a bobbled pass up to Marshall, the Marshall had to come back and get the stats look good, but he didn't really look like he was going to be that great come, come regular season. Whereas Tyler, I feel like he had a similar type game, but he at least looked like he has some Pac-12 talent. So, But when you look at each play, right. though, it's like, you know, incomplete to Delgado. He threw it away, which was smart in the back of the end zone. So that's smart. Like, no one was open. He had pressure. He threw it away on the rollout. The red touchdown for seven yards. Come on. There's 10,000 people in the stadium who could have thrown that pass. I can't give much credit. Like, I didn't see anything there. He just flipped it out there. Big deal. He threw a, a screen to Felix for 22 yards. I give the quarterback no credit for that. Fake screen left. You know, almost. Now, here. I'm, no, I'm, I'm being honest. He, he, no, no, I know, I know. He fake screen left, yeah. and then he threw screen right. That was almost picked. He forced that one. That was bad. Against a real team, that is picked and maybe a touchdown. Yeah, that was. That, that was right. a bad pass. I remember. Then that he one. got sacked for minus two. No one was open. Like, you know, the, no fault of his. He took off. He didn't force it. That's smart. That's good. Um, then, then second and twenty-two, he takes off for thirteen when no one's open again. That he showed his athleticism there. That's definitely a positive. I liked. I liked that. I liked that play right. a lot because he 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 did try to stay in the pocket and, and see what was developing there. But he, you know, unlike maybe like Braxton Burmeister in the, the past, he didn't run until he kind of needed to right. there at the end. Now maybe the most impressive pass was on a third and nine when he had three guys in his face. He saw Webb in the flat and just flicked it. Like he flicked it 
Marino style. Like his arm barely moved. He flicked it out there with velocity, hit Webb right in the chest. Little dangerous in that the DB hit Webb right when he caught it. So it's one of those things where, yeah, you might want to do that, not want to do that against an elite level corner. But still, the, the presence of mind and the way he flipped it out there was was nice. It was just a short little four-yard gain. But that is a that's a sign of talent when you can do something like that. Um, play action to Delgado for 15 yards. Again, it's one of these things where it's like, it's it's a nice play, but it's a quick slant. Like to me, if you can't throw a swing, a, a, a screen, a hitch, and a quick slant, you wouldn't even get a scholarship. So those things don't impress me because again, any high school quarterback can make that throw. Um, so I and I could go on forever. He threw a four yard swing to uh, dollars, uh, a pass to Daywood Davis on a hitch. Eh. Now the Camp Moyer touchdown, twenty one yards. Okay. Did Nevada even know Kent Moyer was on the field? Like, again, it's a play action, seam over the middle. No one's covering the guy. So you should throw that touchdown. Again, you and I could have thrown that touchdown. So my point is, this is not to knock him. You haven't seen me throw a football, man. <laughs> this is it's not, not It's not my. This uh... is not to knock him because, again, these were the plays that were called for him. So it's not his fault that they called swings and screens and hitches and things like that. Um, so it's not a negative on him. Because it's not his fault. That's all he was given. But I still walked away like the things he was asked to do, he did well, but he was not asked to do very much. So I think the jury's still out on whether or not they have a a legitimate successor, although you can definitely see the physical talent. Right. Um, For for the one thing, I I don't really have a negative from this game, but I do have just still kind of an open question mark, and that's still uh, Oregon's receiving core. <laughs> Are they ever going to get help? Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, Juwan, Juwan Johnson, who, you know, and initially we were told like this, this injury was was cramps when he first left practice. And now here it is three weeks later and he's still um, up in the air. I'm, you know, they haven't released what his status is for this week. But, you know, there's maybe one train of thought of like, hey, just let him get th- let him take Montana week off, let him get through. But also, I imagine they probably want to probably work in some chemistry with him and Herbert. Um in the actual game setting, but um, there, there was a lot to like in Oregon's passing game. Uh, you know, I, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 different players caught, caught passes and one, two, three, four, I think seven different players caught touchdown passes. Um, it was, they just really distributed the ball all over. I still, you know, as as you and I were kind of talking about off air, pretty much all those passes were caught wide open. I mean, this this was uh, an example of Oregon being the more talented team. They they were better. Um, I, I thought just schematically they they were they drew up stuff to really get these guys open. And I'm still not quite sure who kind of emerges as um, you know Herbert's kind of go to target. Uh, I did JJ3. really like. I mean, having that. JJ three, he, uh, he had, uh, 49 yards, four catches on seven targets. I haven't gone back and watched the full film yet. So I don't know if there was, uh, what happened with those, uh, three other targets, whether that was Herbert missing them or, or, or whatnot. But, um, I did really like that Jacob Breland's back in there healthy. I think when that guy's healthy, him, him and Herbert for the last, you know, three years have, have, they just always seem like they're on the same page. So seeing him kind of go for that 66 yard touchdown, touchdown run, was nice. Um, another example where he was wide open, but that was, that was a real nice route. Uh, it was, it was kind of a, a I think it was seam a, down the middle. Um, it, yeah. It was a, it was a wheel coming out of the seam. Um, and yeah, they, they uh, weren't able to cover that one that well. So, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you kind of look through the list. Like it was nice to see Brian Addison, uh, kind of redeem himself by, by getting in the end zone after missing that one against Auburn. But you know, that was another one where all he had to do was come down with it because there wasn't anybody within 20 yards of him. Um, I really, I, I don't know if Daywood Davis is going to be able to contribute kind of going further down the road, especially once they get some of these guys back. But it was really nice seeing him be able to kind of get rewarded with a touchdown for, you know, this is a kid who came in as a cornerback or sorry, he came in as a wide receiver this spring and this fall. They tra- transitioned him over to cornerback. And then once everyone started getting injured, they brought him back over to wide receiver. And, you know, the thing with him has always been talk. There, I mean, I think Davis is probably the fastest guy on the team. So he's obviously athletic. He's, he's just never really been able to be consistent kind of in practice to, to get that sort of playing time. So um, it was nice to see him catch all four of his targets for 39 yards and in, in a touchdown. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I still don't know what to think of this uh, receiving unit, especially because, you know, this wasn't a great Nevada secondary and, uh, you know, two two or three guys that we expect to kind of be their top targets still haven't played yet and, and you know Jawan and Brendan Schooler who uh it was nice to see Schooler walking around. he looked kind of healthy or walking around on the sidelines you know he's not not on crutches anymore or anything and, and Micah Pittman looks like he's probably coming back maybe after Stanford I don't know but uh yeah I mean it, it was a. Uh, this isn't a, a complaining about the, the receiving core at, at all. I mean, they, they caught seven touchdown passes, but I'm, I'm just still not quite certain um, how, how good they are going forward. Here's an analogy. So, you know, Steph, Steph Curry in basketball, when he's wide open for a three, you just put up the points, right? Because the guy can sit right. there and make – I think he's, there's a video of him making like 40 straight threes or something like that, right? Something like that. But what makes him impressive – Sure. Is when he's covered by someone good and he has to run around all these screens and curls and he gets the ball. There's two people in his face and he's five feet behind the three point line and he flicks it up there and it goes in. That's what makes people go, Oh my God. So my point is that what we saw on Saturday was the equivalent of being wide open for a three and no one's guarding you. You should catch the damn ball. Like you're a college scholarship wide receiver. You should catch the damn ball. You're a college quarterback on a scholarship. You should throw a ball to a wide open guy. What we have to see though is in high leverage situations where there's there's less time for the quarterback to make a decision to make him throw, and there's good ass DBs on you, bumping you, trailing you, into, and pushing you into safety leverage as coverage over the top. Can you get open? And then when the ball's coming, can you make the play in a tight window? We did not see that consistently against um, Auburn at all on either side, the quarterback or the receivers. Most of their completions were quick screens or dump offs because that's all they had time to do most of the time. But to me, it's like, yeah, they, they demonstrated why they're on scholarship, but they didn't demonstrate that they're a championship caliber right. uh, receiving core. So we won't know. I, I was talking to somebody, somebody after the game and, um, you know, I think, I think this Oregon team is a really good front running team. You know, I, I think when things are going good and, and that they're playing against a team that they should beat, I, I think Oregon, I think this Oregon team should, is going to beat the teams it's supposed to beat. Um, and that sounds really stupid, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, no, they're, they're going to take full advantage yeah, of this, whether they have opti- when it's, right. everything's optimal, the, the, the the thing that I really want to see, and you know, maybe maybe we didn't see it as much in that Auburn game, is just you know how do these players play under pressure, and 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 can can this team kind of maybe come from behind, or or you know just have that that those big important drives in the fourth quarter, um, you know that obviously it's week two, and and this is a new roster from last year, but uh, I'm I'm still not quite certain yet of how of how this team will will play under pressure, but they. Uh, they look awfully good against teams that they, they, they're supposed to do this against. Absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, what was that? I think that's probably about enough time spent on Oregon, Nevada. What about Montana? Are we talking about the Montana, the big Montana tilt. 
No, that's not the big Montana. Well, we we might save that for Friday a bit. I mean, it's uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, you know, uh, over over at the Oregonian, James Crepia, who used to cover uh, Auburn before moving over here. Uh, man, he he was all in on Auburn week because uh, you know it was it was a team he was familiar right. with, and obviously and obviously it was such a big uh, uh, big game. I. Uh, prepare for that little of coverage this week with uh with oh, the you're about to go it's, off. It's huh? gonna be uh, <laughs> no, un- unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, I think 77 might be doable again against my poor Montana yeah, Grizzlies. So, um, so we just brought up some stuff that we were semi concerned about about this Oregon team, but in the grand scheme of the Pac-12, uh, they're looking pretty good. So let's let's do a little bit of uh, around the Pac-12 here, starting with. Uh, um, Oregon's friends up north, uh, Washington, who didn't end up kicking off until they didn't really get that game going until like 10 30, 10 30, 11 o'clock ish. Um, and then Cal came in there into Husky Stadium and beat them. I mean, that was that was probably the the biggest upset of uh, the Pac 12. I mean, obviously of the Pac 12 season so far, but uh, I, I think we have all we all kind of have agreed that uh, Wilcox at, at Cal is doing a good job, but I was not expecting them to go in there this early in the season and knock off a Washington team that was sitting pretty, uh, pretty high coming off of that big win over Eastern Washington. Yeah. Wilcox. I felt Wilcox should have been Oregon's coach <clears throat> when they hired Taggart. And then when Taggart left personally, but no offense to Mario, I just thought we're bringing the, bringing the former yeah. Dougie, uh who would never try and leave. Unlike I think Mario would leave if he had the opportunity. Uh, but um, you know, first things first, I, I went to see it chapter two with my daughter on Saturday night. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm curious about how this ties in. Let's well, go. It's, we went to eight 30 movie. I get home and like, you know, it was a long movie. I got home like 11 or so. And, uh, I go check. Hey, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check the Cal Washington score. It's still going. I'm like, this can't be right. <laughs> so I, I was trying to figure out online what had happened. And that's fine. I went out and asked Twitter, Hey, what happened? Uh, why is this game still going? Everyone was like, thunderstorms, lightning storms. I'm like, whoa. So that was kind of bizarre. And I tried to watch it, but I fell asleep. Um, and that's when I hurt my shoulder, by the way, that night. So I blame it on the Huskies. And the, and the, you want to tell everybody how you hurt and your the shoulder? weather? <laughs> I fell asleep on the couch watching the Huskies Cal game and I slept on it wrong. And I woke up and I'm on the IL. Anyway. So we so we we just, we spent the last three weeks talking about how or, Oregon's receiving core is soft and you know, I didn't they say can't they were soft and, and and here you are on your I, I imagine you have a nice couch it's a beautiful too. leather uh, couch you know. and I just fell asleep on it wrong and I, I had to cancel like a golf tea time for today with my buddy um, anyway anyway I digress very nice win for Cal and it does raise questions about Washington there's no doubt I mean it's like you know. If you're Oregon and you see Washington lose at home to Cal, on one hand, you guess you say, okay, Washington looks really vulnerable. That's a good sign. But on the other hand, you have to say, oh my goodness, Cal looked pretty damn good, especially on defense. That does that make that game look even tougher? So it's sort of like, you know, it's a double-edged sword there. But I think if you're a Duck fan, you want the Huskies to lose as much as possible because of what that means in the standings for the North. So that was a very good development for Oregon, no doubt. The other thing too is, is you know, it's. It, I love college football rivalries, especially online, because everyone gets out in front of their skis before they they can <laughs> right. really uh, learn how to actually go down the hill. Because after after the Auburn game, and you know, we're we're impartial here. You know, we just cover the games, yada yada yada. But a lot of people don't understand that. So I was getting a lot of uh, Twitter stuff from Washington fans about you know Oregon being overrated and all this and all this and. 
I think Auburn's a better team than Cal. I'm just throwing this out there. <laughs> it was a neutral site. I think losing to Auburn's probably a little bit better than losing to Cal on your resume. I'm just just throwing 100%. that out there. Are you, are you talking about are you talking uh, about smack? I'm not. I'm. I'm smack. talking impartial smack. Oh, impartial here. smack. Uh, imp- imp- that that should be the name of our next podcast. Impartial smack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when they yank this one from us. Um, no, I hundred percent. Other game. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, other games around the Pac-12. Uh, USC might still be good. I mean, I I kind of thought I, I probably said on this podcast last week that uh, that game was looking a lot easier. Uh, for the Ducks following JT Daniels' uh, unfortunate uh, knee injury. But uh, uh, USC put a whipping on uh, Stanford in a game featuring two <laughs> two freshman quarterbacks. Um, Stanford, I, I just, I don't know. This, I don't think Stanford coming up on uh, uh, towards the end of this month, I don't think this is as good of a Stanford team as it, as it was last year. I mean, maybe Costello's back by then. But um, I, I think USC might might be decent. Yeah, again, another double-edged sword situation. So <clears throat> Oregon does play SC. They play them down there. That make, This makes that game looks more, look more dangerous. But what I like about it for Oregon is that what Stanford usually does, they, they never have the athletes that USC has or Oregon has, especially on the perimeter, right? What they do is they muddy right. up the game. They dirty it up in the trenches by smashing you in the face, and then your perimeter talent gets watered down. USC flew all over the field on Stanford and Stanford had no answer for it. And that is a good sign for Oregon because what you're hoping is that when you play them, that's the same thing. They don't disrupt everything you do in the front seven. Herbert can sit back there, get a little, you know, extra second and a half receivers have time to get open and they can deliver the ball. And then maybe you can run well on them. So that's a definite positive sign for Oregon. Plus another North team loss in conference. So you had your Mm -hmm. top two threats in the conference in your, in your division lose Great weekend for the Ducks in that regard. So if they beat Stanford in two weeks, you know, they're in first place in the North. Like, there's right. well, they could be tied with Cal. But they're you're ahead of UW and Stanford, who you figure might be your biggest threats. But watch out for Cal because they didn't win that game. Most definitely. Uh, should we talk about Chip? <laughs> yes. Let's talk some Chip. Okay, I, I, I got I got some numbers for you here following uh, UCLA's second loss of the season to move to zero and two on the year. UCLA has forty or four hundred seventy nine yards of total offense this season. That's in two games. That's two hundred twenty one yards less than anyone else in the entire Pac twelve conference. That's not good. They have one hundred twenty four <laughs> rushing yards total on the season. On the season, you know, we we've sit we <laughs> we just nitpicked Oregon's running game, and they rushed for two hundred twenty yards in this game against a team that's probably better than what, um, I mean, comparable to San Diego State. I mean, the, the, this is an absolute mess for Chip down there. I, I think a lot of people gave him kind of leeway last year of you know you're taking over this UCLA mess. Um, you know, it's going to take a while for him to kind of uh, guys to buy into his system and, and get that going. But uh, this isn't looking good, man. Okay. First thing is first. And I, I to- absolutely 100% believe this. When you take over a program that's a little bit in disarray, people can't expect anyone to show up and just magically X and O their way to success. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Like, th- th- this this program had problems. There's just no denying that. Chip needs more time. But what's alarming is that they can't score against mid-majors. 
Like that just that should not. They're they're zero and five against right. majors in his two his one and a half years. Yeah, here. I mean you <laughs> should have enough talent on campus to at least score. It's one thing if you're losing, you know, forty five forty, but for him to not be able to put up points at all is alarming. But you know, I'm gonna go back to. I mean, to me, this is this is amusing, not because I dislike Chip, but because of all the Chip is a god talk we heard forever. And I kept I used to always say. Look, Chip is good, but he was right place, right time. And there are people on that staff who are like, Chip's good, but he's right place, right time. And one of the old, old, old arguments was that, oh, Chip's recruiting, Chip's recruiting. Man, it was never about Chip's recruiting. It was about the staff's recruiting. And look at him now. Their class, he had a full year to recruit at UCLA to go in 2019 class, 44th in the, in the nation, dude. If Chip was such a great yeah. recorder, recruiter, how come he couldn't recruit into the top 20 at UCLA? It's freaking in Los Angeles. And they have brand new, beautiful facilities. Also, one of the um, knocks on Helfords when people blamed Helfords for the quarterback issue, which was partly on Chip and Frost anyway, is that, oh, Chip would have found a quarterback to replace Marcus. He would have found somebody. Well, he's got a guy now, a four-star kid now, and he can't score with that guy. So that blows that up. The bottom line is Chip is a good football coach. He needs time. He was never the God people made him out to be. The pace of that offer, he was, I'll give him this. He was amazing at not just the pace. I remember talking at Pac-12 Media Day to a defensive player from, some, I think it might have been Colorado, and he said, or Arizona State, he said the thing that impressed him most about what Oregon did was not the pace. It was that they would run pace with a zillion different formations. <laughs> like, and, the, and how they, right. you remember, like, you, you, know, you didn't cover Chip, did you? No, you didn't. But even, I mean, Helfrich's no. offense did pretty much the same thing. They slowed it down just a little bit because they wanted to do more after the 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 formation set reads chip did but by the time you tweeted what happened the next play was gone so that was amazing but that was the advantage and that advantage is not the same anymore and so chip has to really work to actually coach and x and o's be outside of the pace um so it's going to be interesting to see what happens but man this should be an eye-opener for everyone that right place right time but here's the other thing what does that mean for the program as a whole if you're still waiting for those days to come back and we're seeing that those days, again, more evidence that those days were just a product of what was going on at that time in college football in the Pac-12. This should tell you that, A, those days are even further gone than you thought. Like, it's 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 never going to come back. So it's very interesting to see what's happening with Chip. But I still think he deserves more time, you know, to build that thing up. But, man, not good at all. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that it probably needs more time. It's just – uh I, I think that's kind of what you get, though, when you're a program like UCLA and you're a coach that has as much kind of notoriety as Chip. You know, this this was a guy who, uh, um, you know, for his last two years at Oregon, it was always the will he or won't he go to the NFL. And um, the NFL didn't work out that well. You know, he got what just like the one year in San Francisco. Yeah, that was. BS. Yeah, it was just one year that in San Francisco. He got screwed yeah. Francisco. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely think that it's. um there's such kind of a knee jerk culture here of like, Oh, if, if you don't have, find success right away, suck, but right? also, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's not fair. And I, I don't know if it, it necessarily uh, leads to the best football in the long run, but you know, they're also compensated pretty handsomely for, uh, you know, having to deal with that pressure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't cover the chip era here in Oregon. Um, I, I don't think the fact that what he, what he did here isn't working there takes away from anything that he did at Oregon and, and, and the opinions of, of how that offense was so revolutionary and, and being an offensive wizard and all those things that kind of came with it. 
you know, a, a coach's job is to identify a weakness and then figure out a way to exploit it. And, you know, few, few staffs did that better than Oregon's from 2009 through 12 or so. So, um, I, I think it's just a, a different era and, and probably being out of the game or out of the, the college game for a couple of years, maybe, uh, maybe took away from, you know, him figuring out what kind of the next development was, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, uh, a, a tough one to see down there for uh, a lot of people who uh, still uh, think very uh, highly of him up here in uh, Oregon. Yeah, it's you know, this is this is hap- this happens through history. I mean, you know, o- Oklahoma with Barry Switzer and and the wishbone, they were dominant, and then all of a sudden people figured out how to slow it down a little bit, so it wasn't as dominant. You can even look at this in the NFL. You know, different the West Coast offense was all the rage, obviously forever for with Montana and Young and the 49ers. and then everyone started running the West Coast offense, and not that it wasn't still a good offense. But it wasn't necessarily as dominant. And so it's the same thing here with, with Oregon. Oregon was the only team in the conference running no huddle spread. Other t- people started doing it. Other people started doing no huddle. And it changes the dynamic. And so you're going to have less success. It's just par for the course. And now here we are with Crystal Ball. They're running no huddle. They're running pace. And their running game isn't nearly as good as it used to be back in the day when teams weren't as prepared for it. So um, it's the evolution of football is interesting. And uh, Chip, I think, is the prime example of that. But again, let's give the guy time and see if he can figure it out. But dude, listen to this. They signed, their recruiting class signed, I think they had nine two-star kids. How do you have to settle for nine two-star kids at UCLA? That's that's bizarre to me. That's that's a recruiting issue, no doubt. And Chip's the head man of that, of that effort. And they're ranked 60th right now for the 2020 class. It's not looking any better. Interesting. I, I got to give you credit. I got to give you credit. Um, I had never interviewed Chip before. And when I was doing my uh, my oral history of the uh, I Love My Ducks <laughs> video last year, I I, re- I really wanted Chip for this. And uh, so I, I got in touch with UCLA and they're like, hey, like he's just not going to have time. You're going to have to do it on the conference call, which is like the worst environment to try to do like any sort of feature type stories, especially um, especially if it's just like an off the wall sort of thing to Chip. Right. And I was like, man, do I really have to ask Chip about a music video on a conference call here? Like this, this is going to, this is going to be terrible. And, you know, I've heard all the stories over the year about how like, you know, uh, you know, ch- interviewing with Chip can be tough and, and all that. And so, you know, I'm sitting here on the phone call going like, ah, God, this is going to, we suck. don't care about music Question, here. <laughs> what? Yeah. The, but the question right before me, hey, this is Aaron Fentress with Comcast Sports Northwest. Uh, Chip, you weren't good at recruiting when you were here at Oregon. What makes you, what makes you think that you're going to be able to do that. it now? Lying. Something to that tune. And he, and then, so Chip starts listening off like, was Mike, was, hey, hey, Aaron, was Michael James a good player? <laughs> yes or no? What? And he starts going down the list. Embellishing. And I, I'm, and I'm sitting here going like, <laughs> oh man, I'm screwed. I, and, but, <laughs> So I come in and I go, hey, Chip, Tyson Alder with The Athletic. Um, Hey, do you by chance remember a, a music video from like 2010? And he's and I think he was just like so pissed off from your question that he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And he played ball and I got I got a good quote. I think I ended my story with it. But uh, yeah, that's my my one interaction with Chip Kelly is uh, um, asking him about a music video after you told him that he sucked at recruiting. Okay. So first of all. Chip midweek, not following a game. If you ask him an oddball question, he'll actually give you good answers because he it's something different. What Chip hated was the right. typical, is there a lot of intensity this week? It's like, he'd be like, fool, this intensity hey, Chip, every week. Chip, looked good in practice exactly. today. Exactly. Like, he hated the mundane, <laughs> idiotic questions that he would get. Um, but first of all, but this ties into what I was just talking about. My question to him was, <laughs> you... His, you know, people know that you necessarily didn't <laughs> like recruiting. I didn't say you didn't do it. And he, and he tried to come at me with all these guys they recruited. 
And my and I stopped him. I said, I'm not saying you didn't recruit well. I'm saying you didn't necessarily enjoy doing it. There was a difference. And he was trying to get all a little pissy. Then he came back down to earth and gave me a semi-legit answer. But I think he was defensive. No, listen, I think he was defensive because it is the question about him. Everyone knows, dude. You talk to any assistant who worked with him. Chip, Chip did a good job when he did have to do whatever he had to do. And I talked to like Eric Armstead, uh, dad, Gus Armstead told me Chip did a great job helping flip him from SC. He did a great job helping Campbell close on that. Um, but he hated doing it. He did not like that aspect of it. And you have to kind of love it and embrace it to have success doing it. And that staff was so good back in the day at recruiting that I think they sort of carried it because of what they did under Bilotti as well. Now he had to revamp everything and start over from scratch at UCLA. And we're seeing that so far it's not going very well. So I, I think my question was legit. I think he was partly defensive because that is a big concern about him. And we're kind of seeing it, uh, the way it's falling out that, yeah, that's a big issue. But thanks for trying to lie, Tyson. All right. Just <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just real quick before we move on, if you guys will please, please take a listen to the Crestfallen Joe Rex Road and David Ubbin on the Athletics Tennessee Volunteers podcast, Pod for Life. Ironically, there hasn't been much life in the Vols, but David and Joe couldn't have predicted that. So please help mend their broken hearts by tuning in every Monday and Thursday and follow them on the Athletic app or website. Okay, Aaron. Hey, so since we talked about this on Friday, about this being a make or break year for Marcus... Marcus and the Tennessee Titans, uh, they made the Browns look like the Browns. Your thoughts? Man, that Tennessee defense looked <laughs> legit. I'm so happy to see Baker Mayfield go down. I look, I don't mind trash talking. You're not you're not a bit you're not a, you're not a Baker I'm, fan. Actually, I think Baker could, could be really good. I just don't like I don't like quarterbacks trash talking, especially if they accomplish anything. Name me a marquee super Super Bowl champion, superstar quarterback in history that was a trash talker. Like. That's just dumb. You, you put a target on your back. You put more pressure on yourself. It's just ridiculous. Just shut the hell up and play football. That's my philosophy on quarterbacks, especially. Um, so, you know, he was talking talking nonsense about Daniel Jones. Hey, quarterbacks and people I can't too, believe man. Daniel Jones got picked first. Who the hell is Baker Mayfield to say that about anybody? How many Oklahoma quarterbacks have ever been good in the NFL? Name one. Quick. Hurry. You can't. Because it's, the system, you know, got people drafted. Kyler Murray. <laughs> yeah, racked up a lot of stats. So we don't know what Baker is going to be. But Tennessee's defense got after him. The running game was there. And Marcus had a solid game. Not great, solid. His biggest play was a, the screen pass to Travis Henry for a 75-yard touchdown. I give zero credit to a quarterback for a screen pass for 75 yards to, to a running back. Um, but other than that, he threw two other touchdowns. He looked better than he has in most games. Although last year he had some really nice games uh, when he was healthy. So this is Marcus when you're running well. This is Marcus when he's healthy. When Delaney Walker's back, he scored a touchdown or two. I think maybe just one. I can't remember. Um, so good sign for Marcus. He needed this, and that was a big road win against a pretty solid Cleveland team. Yeah, Marcus's final stats, he was 14 of 24 for 248 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And most importantly, he did not leave the game on a stretcher. Exactly. But take away the 75 um, on the screen, he's he got 100 and what, 143? Man, just just give screen passes their due because if he throws a pick on that, you're going to be all over. Well, yeah, because you one, should. So. The degree, you should never throw a pick on a screen. <laughs> Come on. Rawr. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's about as good of a point for us to leave as as there is. So thanks, thanks everyone for listening to It Never Rains. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that today's episode was available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Whereas when we come back on Friday, where we would go deep dive into the Montana Grizzlies, the juggernaut of the FCS and the big sky that is available exclusively for athletic subscribers. If you're not a subscriber and you want to get in, we have a promo code still going. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash it never rains, you can get all sorts of goodies over there. So uh, thanks for listening here on this Monday. 
Aaron, I'll uh, I'll see you at some point this week. Awesome, man. Talk to you later.